Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it. And Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Well, happy Christmas, everybody. Um, that was Dominic, of course, um, reading the opening to A Christmas Carol. And Dominic, here we are just quality, before Christmas. Professional quality. And what could, what could be more festive? than to actually be out and about in the streets of this great capital of ours. So I stand here and I see a sign that says, motorcyclists, please do not start your engines. We're standing in what to untutored eyes, Tom, would seem like a a sort of just a deserted yard. But you're going to explain why you dragged me. From all my, the way from the Cotswolds, yeah. your, your hobbit hole in the Cotswolds, <laughs> all the way down into the very heart of London. Um, and I have to say that you are looking absolutely full of uh, festive fur. <laughs> <laughs> right. my, fa- my face as like you, thunder as I walked into the coffee shop before the recording started. As you were walking here, ragamuffins were knocking your top hat off with snowballs. <laughs> They, they, they could tell the, the Scrooge-like expression yes. on your face. Full of, Chris, full of Christmas cheer. There's nothing I like more than being summoned down to London by Tom Holland uh, with a pandemic raging. <laughs> exactly. Well, we, so we're, we're, in, we're in a place called Newman Court, which is just off Cornhill. And Cornhill is one of the main um, roads in the city of London. It leads from uh, the Bank of England up towards Leadenhall Market. Um, but the reason that we're here is that, insofar as we can tell, Newman Court is the likeliest place for Scrooge's counting house. So, Scrooge, obviously, the central character in A Christmas Carol, the kind of definitive canonical Christmas text, I, Probably I think. the most adapted Christmas. Definitely Well, I mean, adapted. probably the most, uh, the most adapted story in English, maybe, in the world. I yeah, mean, apart from the nativity itself. Yeah, I apart suppose. from that. Yes, another word, um, fiction. So written and published in December 1843 by Charles Dickens. The same, the same year, uh, apparently, as uh, Christmas cards were first sent. Is that right? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great year for the Victorian Christmas. A very big year. Well, of course, Christmas has sort of been in the ether a little bit for the Victorians for a few years before Christmas Carol comes out. You know, the amazing thing, actually, Tom, you know how old Dickens, obviously you do know how old he was when he... Remind me. 31. Yeah. 31, I mean, and he'd already written six books... Well, I I mean, I think the thing about Dickens, so when he's writing this, as you say, he's a young man. I I mean, when you read about how he came to write uh, Christmas Carol, what impresses you, as almost every detail of of Dickens always does, is the unbelievable sense of energy. Yeah. I mean, kind of terrifying, almost demonic level of energy. Because as he, he, it took him six six weeks to write Christmas Carol. Uh, As he wrote it, he would kind of laugh and cry yes, yes. and gurn and prance around the room whenever but, there was any particular... But he's also doing these walks at night, isn't yes. he? Where he's walking 15, yes. 20 miles so he walks around all London. Day, and then he relaxes by going for, yeah, yeah. for 50 miles across, um, across the city. So, he's sort of extraordinary. But he, do, he does it partly because he needs money. So he's written, he's had some quite big name books. So Pickwick Papers, Oliver Twist, Nicholas Nickleby. But his most recent book, Martin Chuzzlewit, has been well. a bit of a failure. 
his wife, I think, is expecting another baby. Yep. Uh, his publishers have basically told him they're like gonna, nagging him. Yeah, they've told him they're going to pay him less unless he basically improves and ups his game. So obviously, Christmas makes sense because he knows in this kind of domesticated Victorian world, middle class world. There are lots of people who are interested in Christmas as a kind of family holiday and are interested in kind of reviving some of the traditions that have been lost. Because that's a lot of what a yeah. Christmas character is. It's inventing and reviving Christmas traditions. And Christmas seems to be incredibly important to Dickens. So right from the beginning, he sketches by Boz, his very first work. There's a, yeah. a whole, you know, one of the sketches is of Christmas. And right, you know, it, um, The Mystery of Edwin Drood, which is his last unfinished novel, um, there's a kind of a murder that takes place yes. actually on Christmas. So there's, it's a theme that runs right the way through. And I guess that, you know, I mean, people always, when they talk about Dickens's psychology, they always go back to the trauma. The blacking he suffered, factory. The blacking, you know, he gets sent to a blacking factory. His father goes to a debtor's prison. The sense in which um, beyond the, you know, the comforts of a, a middle class household, yeah. Well, ignorance and want, who yeah. are the, the, the two children who um, the well, ghost of Christmas future shows to... Um, well, the sort of coziness, Tom, I think, of Dickens and of Christmas depend upon the darkness. Absolutely. You know, yes. you have, the fire is, is burning in the grates and stuff, but outside the, the wind is howling, the snow is coming down or yeah. whatever. You need both yeah. for the sort of Christmas stories to really work. Yeah. I, I, and I, I think that um, A Christmas Carol just... I mean, why is it so successful? I think, I mean, it, it kind of partly does echo the kind of the rhythms of the original Christmas story. So you have three visitors rather than yeah, like you, you have, do. you know, the three kings. Um, Scrooge goes to visit Tiny Tim, the little, yeah. little child, rather like the, the shepherds and the three kings go to visit the baby Jesus. So it, it kind of brilliantly riffs on that without making it too obvious. I but I think it, it is it's also... a bit of a fairy tale quality too, though, Tom. Absolute fairy tale quality. But it, that there is, it is also rooted in an absolute sense of how brutal life can be for the yeah. poor. So yeah. um, the, two, two um, episodes in Dickens's life just before he writes it that might have um, influenced him. One is he, he's gone to America in 1842, so the year before he Martin, writes it. Yeah, Martin Chuzzlewit. And he goes to this penitentiary in Pittsburgh. Yes. And he goes into a cell and he, he writes to his friend... Uh, John Forster, and he says, uh, I went into the cell and I was struck by the terrifying thought, what if the convict in this cell is visited by ghosts? You know, that's part yeah. of the punishment. Yeah. And I, that's obviously a kind of idea that's playing with him. And the other is that he goes to a ragged school that's been set up in Saffron Hill, which is, um, it's uh, um, kind of by Hoban Viaduct very you know yeah, so area now but but so that's basically a school for urchins isn't it yeah but but it was an absolute slum in yeah. this time it's where fagin's um uh, hangs out with all the uh, the pickpockets in all of but Twist. also tom scrooge so scrooge is such an interesting figure because there's a bit of dickens in him dickens is very ambitious dickens is very concerned about money dickens is terrified of being lonely and abandoned obviously he's lost he lost his father for a time as a boy and some sort of dickens biographers have said there's a bit of the, the, uh, the portrait of Scrooge is the two sides that Dickens sees in his own character. There's the sort of hard, the guy who's all about work and money. A squeezing, retching, gasping, yes. scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Yes, exactly. And then there's the sort of open-handed, oh, go and get a turkey. <laughs> yeah. I love Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And those, those are the two sides of Dickens' own persona that yeah. he's sort of exploring here. Anyway, let's talk about the place. So, Dickens, so Scrooge's counting house... 
is pretty much it's pretty much the first location I think we we encounter, isn't it? In the book, as far as I remember, uh, my my memory of, of Christmas Carol is slightly coloured by the Muppet Christmas Carol, <laughs> which I'm sure we'll which come is to. the one I'm most I'm sure familiar we'll come with. To. How do we know where where the, the address of the counting house where it opens, where um, Scrooge and his clerk Bob Cratchit are working on Christmas Eve? I mean, it's not we're not given a precise address, but we're given various clues. So we we are told that um, nearby there is the ancient tower of a church whose gruff old bell was always peeping slyly down at Scrooge out of a Gothic window in the wall. Uh, and this church, we're told, becomes invisible and struck the hours and quarters in the clouds with tremulous vibrations afterwards as if its teeth were chattering in its frozen head up there. So the key detail there is it's a Gothic window. Okay. Um, there are you know, two or three churches in the city of London with Gothic windows. Most of them obviously got incinerated of course, uh, in, in the, the Great, Great Fire. Fire. Um, one of the churches is on Cornhill, St. Michael's Cornhill. Okay. Um, and that's a, a key detail because um, you'll remember that uh, Bob Cratchit, yeah. the clerk, he, goes, um, he asks Scrooge, could he have, you know, c- c- can he have Christmas Day off? And yes. Scrooge is kind of very cross about that, but then says, yes, okay, you can. Um, and we're told that when the clerk, uh, Bob Cratchit, um, leaves Scrooge's office. He goes out with the long ends of his white comforter, so his, um, I guess that's his, his that's scarf, like scarf really. dangling below his waist, for he boasted no greatcoat. He went down a slide on Cornhill at the end of a lane of boys 20 times in honour of its being Christmas Eve and then ran home to Camden Town as hard as he could pelt to play at Blind Man's Park. That's a hell of a run. It is. I mean, that's quite so a it's run. It's two or three miles. Yeah. It's two, but he's obviously full of energy from having he sat is. shivering. He's Kermit uh, the his, Frog in yeah, the, he's uh, Muppet, the frog. Muppet yes, version. Exactly. Um, so you don't know at this stage, by the way, interestingly, that he's Bob Cratchit. No. He's not named. Yeah, yeah, that comes later. Um, so, so if you put those details together, you've got the church, you've got the fact that Bob Cratchit goes out from the office and he slides up and down Cornhill. Yeah. The likelihood is, uh, you know, from the description that it is this place here, which is a, a narrow, dark passageway coming off Cornhill. And as you say now, I mean, it's, it's a very unromantic spot. Um, yes, there's some good air conditioning units. But there's, there's um, a kind of proper Dickensian blackness to some of the brickwork. There is. So just, um, for, just for some of our overseas listeners, we should say exactly where we are. Because we're in the heart of the city of London, which is not the London that most visitors see. So the old city of London. Well, is there it? are some things that visitors visit. The they Paul's might Cathedral. see St. Paul's, but generally um, people come, they see the West End. Yeah. They see, this is, this is not that. This is the financial district now. And, and it's the heart, I mean, it's the oldest centre of London. So we're actually standing on what was the forum in, in the Roman city. That's a good um, fact. I didn't know that. Uh, and Corn Hill. Uh, obviously, it's a hill on which they yeah. sort of call, right. <laughs> and it runs parallel to Threadneedle and, Street, and there are uh, quite where tailors live and where the Bank of England of is. These sort of courts and alleys, aren't there? There, you never notice them when you're rushing past. They're often quite old, yeah. Um, sort of Victorian. There would have been, I mean, what would, there would have been all sorts of counting houses, offices. There would have been kind of rookeries and slums across think, the city think, of London. I, yeah, I, I think. Fewer, few, fewer rookeries and slums here in the city. Maybe, because, yes. Because um, it's, you know, it, it is a place, as it always has been, for finance and but banks it would have and been, counting houses and money. It would have been money. much, I would say, less like the London of today and more like going to some great, huge, you know, Chinese city or something where yeah. rich and poor Certainly are jumbled up yeah. together although, in a sort of although, chaos of people. I mean, although already you're starting to get the, the way in which it's, it's the rich bankers, so it's Scrooge who lives actually 
in the centre, which, yeah. we, as we'll find out later. And Bob lives further to, out. Bob Cratchit lives further out. So he's already, ha- I mean, he's having yeah. to walk, but he's, That's true. he's uh, having to commute. But that said, the streets are still littered with yes. urchins, with beggars. Absolutely. I mean, we have lo- there are yes. lots of references to that. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, which is obviously not the case now, because we're here on a working day, admittedly in the middle of a pandemic, but the place is practically deserted in many ways, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. But the, back, the backdrop is absolutely of wealth for those who have it. It's a domestic. It's you know domestically centered. It's it's behind the the doors of uh, grand houses, and then out on the streets, there's there's poverty and suffering and want. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. Well, shall we move on to our, our next location, Tom? Right. So so Bob Cratchit, um, he's he's gone home to Camden. Yeah. Um, and Scrooge, we're told, goes out for um, a rather uh, grim and unhappy meal. Uh, and I think that we should go next to the place where the most likely place okay. where he had this for a meal. grim and unhappy meal. Lovely. For a grim and unhappy meal. I look meal. forward to it. So Dominic, um, we've come to uh, Bengal Court, which is another of these kind of amazing yeah. um, si- side for a lovely alleys. kind of warren, isn't it? So yeah, it's absolute a warren, warren of kind of alleys, Cornhill. So if yeah. you're walking down Cornhill and you didn't go down these this kind of warren of streets, you have no idea they were no. here. Um, but the reason we've come here is we're f- we're following Scrooge, who has left his counting house, uh, and in Christmas Carol, we're told that he took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern. And having read all the newspapers and beguiled the rest of the evening with his banker's book, so he knows how to party, <laughs> went home to bed. Very Sandbrook. Uh, that's, that's not very Sandbrook at all. Um, so there are a couple of candidates, aren't there? Uh, there are a couple of inns we've walked past. There were Simpsons. Yeah. There was an old Jamaica or something like yep. that. Jamaica. And, but this one, I think, is... The George and the Vulture. Yes. And they have... I, a bust, don't they? Which we are standing beside. Yes, of the great man. And actually, I, you that's know, Dickens, I, not Scrooge. I, by the way, I feel like a ragamuffin <laughs> pressing my nose to the yeah. window and gazing because it is a very, very Dickensian scene. There are kind of tables laid, well, it's crackers, all laid for Christmas, glasses, for, yeah, for Christmas and, lunch. and this bust of Dickens gazing out over it. Um, and a- apparently, this is where um, every year, just before Christmas, members of the Dickens family congregate. In a even room, now, even yes, now, in a room upstairs to toast Dickens himself. Um, so, of course, the, uh, the, the there is a kind of mood of Dickensian jollity here. But yeah. for Scrooge, this is all about gloom and misery. He's, you know, he's obviously having kind of a miserable meal, doesn't have any friends. It's Christmas <laughs> Eve. Yes. And then he goes home. Um, and again, we don't know, you know, Dickens doesn't tell us where his home is. But again, presumably... It, it's, it's it's off Cornhill because it's all down the one action. Of these courts, isn't it? And um, he lived in chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner. There are a gloomy suite of rooms in a lowering pile of building up a yard where it had so little business to be. Though one could scarcely help fancying it must have run there when it was a young house, playing at hide and seek with other houses and forgotten the way out again. Exactly. So we we know because in due course he will order a turkey from yes. Leadenhall Market, which is just around the corner. His counting house is here. His, his likely place of supper is here. So I think the likeliest candidate is a place called White Lion Court, okay. which again is off Cornhill, uh, has an 18th century house. And the description you just read, it said, you know, it's an old house. Right. So we, you know, we don't know. It's entirely fictional. But let's go there because that is, and, and look at the door on which perhaps Marley's face appears as Scrooge goes up Excellent. to the door on Christmas Eve. And can we go and can we talk while we're doing that, Tom? Do you think that's reasonable? I think we should talk about Scrooge. Okay, let's do that. what strikes me about Scrooge is that he's obviously a sort of 
repulsive and you know grasping and greedy figure but he's sad isn't he even yeah. from the beginning he's sad having his dinner on his own and well there's the awful when when um and we're slightly jumping the gun here but when the ghost of christmas past comes and shows him um his memories the very sad description of him um at his school well, yeah, and everyone's course. gone home of course. and he's alone at his desk yeah. with no friends the loneliness is a, is a huge part of the story i think i think that's one reason why it appeals because there's a bit of scrooge there's all of, there's a bit of scrooge in all of us that sort of deliberately cynical miserable because we feel lonely or left out or whatever do you yes, not think Dominic. well um i mean <laughs> i'm thinking of you actually tom <laughs> I'm thinking of you. I'm just trying as to be nice say, uh, to you. Well, as you say, Dominic, there's a little bit of Scrooge in all of yeah. us. Anyway, so we're, we're now... Um, I'm we've much come more back out, We've come back out from the Warren of Rays and we're going past but beneath um, uh, St. Michael's Cornhill with the yeah. Gothic window. It is indeed, so this a very is the church, right? Yep, it's Christopher Wren Church. Unusually for a Wren Church, yeah. it, has the, it has these Gothic windows. So yeah. it's not a Wren Church like, you know, that you would no, traditionally not, expect. Not, not a classic. And we're, we're back on Cornhill. Um... And we're walking, Some nice drilling we're, in walking, the background. we're walking up Cornhill from, from the Bank of England towards what is the highest point in the whole city of London, but you'd barely know it. So it's one of the three hills of London. Um, it's not really a hill, is it? I mean, it's barely it's an incline. Tower Hill, uh, Ludgate Hill, on which um, St. Paul stands, uh, and this Cornhill. With these colossal kind of financial well, towers yes. now so, overshadowing it. So, so, so the language of money... I mean, it absolutely dominates, um, obviously, uh, Christmas Carol. You know, it's all about the Bank of England, exchange, yeah. bills of exchange, yeah. ledgers, all that kind of stuff. And as we, as we walk up to, um, towards Leadenhall, towering over us are the heirs of... Well, they are. I mean, there's the like... The heirs of know, Scrooge's counting house. There's the sort of... What's that? Is that the Lloyd's building? Yeah, the Lloyd's um, building. The Lloyd's building. Down, but there's the... Further the along. cheese grater... Uh, we've got the gherkin behind that. If you ever watch those fantastic kind of recolorized, you know, um, sort of newsreel and things, kind of early film visions of Edwardian London or early 20th century London, the demographic mix is very different from how it is today. It's a lot older. Yep. It's a lot more socially variegated than, you know, when we walk yeah. around these streets. Yeah, but there's only one kind of yeah. people here. Yeah, although, I mean, we're going to be doing uh, an episode, aren't we, in the new year on 1922. We are. As the year in which modernity is born, um, and that's the year in which The Wasteland is published. And Elliot gives this kind of terrifying description of... The people sweeping across yeah, the... the people crossing the London Bridge, Bridge yeah. dead. I had not thought death had undone so many. Yes. Anyway, so we have come to one of the, the many candidates for where Scrooge's oh, house looks, might have been. This looks perfect, Tom. Yeah. This genuinely looks yeah. absolutely perfect. So it's uh, White Lion Court, uh, and there is... You know, there's an old house. Uh, it, it looks rather rather handsome now. It's painted uh, in a bright kind of purple. Uh, there are a couple of lions stuck outside. So very much cheerier than it might have been if this had but been Scrooge's house. it could have looked fantastically yes. dreary. You could make it look fantastically yes. dreary, couldn't you? Absolutely. So what is it? Probably Georgian house? Looking, judging by yeah, the sort so of windows? Yeah, so it's 18th century house. But you could, I guess you could imagine a door knocker on, the, on those doors and it, it, it kind of warping. And, and, so tell and us about the door knocker, Tom. Do you have so the... Scrooge, Scrooge comes up to it, knocks on it, sees, Scrooge's, sees Marley's face. Marley is his partner who's, who's died. And he, humbug, humbug, yes. goes upstairs and has a well, festive... This is, the first, this is the first hint, isn't there, of the supernatural. That, and our producer was saying to us as we were walking over that um, 
that's one of the elements that makes this such a great story. It's not just the lesson, it's not just the sentiment, but it's also that it's quite scary. And particularly, it's interesting because it, now it's often thought of as, as quite a children's story. So you can buy it as a puffin children's classic. And obviously, thanks to the Muppets, it's become a kind of family, you know, yeah. a, a sort of family. And it's festive. kind of stages pantomimes and things. Isn't yeah, it? Um, but not at the time. That, it's not a children's story at all at the time, is it? I mean, Dickens is writing for adults. Absolutely. So, fa- so, so, so famously, Scrooge retires for the night and he hears a clanking and a dragging. Yeah. And into his room walks the ghost of Jacob Marley. And Jacob Marley is dragging behind him ledger books and <laughs> chains and all the appurtenances of his long career as a banker. And perhaps the most chilling detail of all, he has a, a cloth wrapped around um, his, underneath his jaw and over his head. <laughs> and at one point he removes it and his jaw drops off. That's right, like Robespierre. <laughs> like Robespierre. That's what happened to Robespierre. <laughs> So all the, obviously all the muscles and everything that are holding the jaw have, have frayed away while he's been in the grave. So that's, uh, that's, that's very frightening. And Marley says, I'm going to be sending you three ghosts basically so, to pep you up yeah. so Marley uh, and teach you the meaning of Christmas. He's John the Baptist here, isn't he? He's not, the, he's not the, the messenger himself, but he's the sort of... Well, he is a messenger, isn't he? He's the angel he's the, he's announcing the, the, yes, the ghosts so. that are going to come. Um, but I mean, inter- so, so Dickens's attitudes to ghosts, I mean, he does, I think, see them as... I mean, he has, he, he's a, ninth, a 19th century man. He's yeah. sceptical about them. He, 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 you know, ostensibly doesn't believe in them. But you could see from the anecdote of him being oh, terrified in, in the Pittsburgh And he wrote penitentiary. The one, which is one of the great yeah. ghost stories ever. Yeah. You know, a brilliant, and actually the 70s TV adaptation with Denholm Elliott, absolutely superb. But um, so Dickens is, like all Victorians, fascinated by death, yeah. um, by memory, by the by the, the spiritual by well and I, and I think that, that one of the things about you know living through the pandemic at the moment is it does take us back to the kind of world in which death was a constant present yeah. in life uh, and that one of the reasons why christmas is so important to dickens is precisely that the streets are stalked by pestilence and um yes terror that thing and, about the and darkness dread. and the cozy right yeah you need the, absolutely. the darkness makes the, the bright seem all the brighter yeah so um Marley retires uh, and Scrooge is left alone. Marley says, you don't believe in me, do you? And Scrooge says, I don't believe you at all. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. There's more of gravy than of grave. That's such a great line. But that's, I mean, that's kind of brilliantly Dickensian, having his cake and eating it, you yeah. know, doubting that it exists, and yet it's kind of horrible yeah, and of terrifying course. at the same time. So Marley withdraws, and then these three ghosts yes. come. Um, um, so the ghost of Christmas past, first of all. Yeah. So we're digging into Scrooge's own past here, yeah. aren't we? So it starts, I think, with that tremendous scene that you mentioned of Scrooge. He's basically at boarding school. Everybody else has gone home for the holidays, he is on his own, this sort of... A solitary child neglected by his friends yeah. is left there still. And that, you see, that's the thing that when I said... I know you thought it was hilarious when I said there's a bit of Scrooge and all that. It's rather <laughs> like Richard Nixon. Uh, um, but, well, Richard Nixon is not unlike Scrooge, actually. Uh, but that sort of thing of being the one child who's left behind. I mean, there are very few listeners who won't empathise with that. Some, you know, weren't the last to be picked up after the party or whatever. And, and, and that's, that's very Dickens. Yeah. That taking somebody the back boys to, their into chi- the blacking factory. Yeah, to their yeah. childhood roots, that's where it all went wrong. 
you know, the mean-spiritedness of, of your nature is rooted in sadness yeah. and solitariness and all those things. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the ghost of Christmas past um, takes us through Scrooge's memories. And there is a, a description of an absolutely kind of classic Dickensian Christmas yeah. knees up. Yeah. Uh, um, Mr. Fezziwig. 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 Or Fozziwig, <laughs> as he is in the Muppets version. Yes. He's Fozzie Bear. Bear. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's, uh, it's a wonderful... Um, there's a kind of wonderful illustration um, by John Leach, who did the early illustrations yeah. of Mr. Fezziwig dancing. It's um, a Welsh wig, Mr. Fezziwig. I don't know what a Welsh wig it's. Yes, says and they, they strike up um, Sir Roger de Coverley, which was an English dance. Right. Named after a character in The Spectator. In and the I, Spectator? Yeah. Not, I, I, I think the early 18th yes. century Spectator rather than the uh, Boris Johnson edited Spectator. <laughs> um, but I've always, I've always wondered, what, you know, I felt that that's a, a bit that's been missing from my Christmas. You want, you'd like to do a bit more dancing? Well, I'd like to do Sir Roger de Coverley. I have no idea right. what it is. So <laughs> well, if anyone out I'm there, not going to with you now. So any, any, the of the, any of the listeners out there have any idea what Sir Roger de Coverley sounds like, you know, let us know. I'd love to hear it. Yes. Um, Maybe they can let us know on the Discord chat if they're members <laughs> of the Rest is History Club. Yes. An ideal Christmas present, and it is not too late to go to restishistorypod.com. Yes, if you want to come in out of the darkness and the cold into our... That's brilliant promotional work, I thought. That was completely seamless. Very Scrooge-like. Um, well, I've got, um, I brought my, brought my ledgers with me. So, um, yes, so, so basically Scrooge has shown the process by which this, this young boy who, um, who, you know, he might have married, he might have had a family, but he decides not to because he chooses to marry his ledger book. That's right, because his sort of, his sweetheart abandons him. Is she called Bella? Yeah. Yes, um, yeah. She, she says you care about money more than me. Yeah. And, and he says humbug. Yeah, exactly. And yes. he's absolutely right. So the, the ghost of Christmas um, past goes, Scrooge wakes up, he's, well, he's a bit discombobulated. Yeah but still not entirely convinced. And then the ghost of Christmas present arrives. And the ghost of Christmas present is absolutely fantastic because he appears... He's, he's like a feast in human form, He does. He? And he's, he, he, he's a kind of giant, colossal, bearded man, but he has a great throne which consists entirely of festive food. So turkeys, geese, game, poultry, brawn, great joints of meat, sucking pigs, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, immense twelfth cakes, and seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. That's like my, my Christmas dinner. That's exactly how I imagine the Sandbrook household exactly. over Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. You... With a great horn of plenty, <laughs> toasting ragamuffins, exactly. handing turkeys out left, Throwing, right, yeah. and centre to the poor, throwing shillings to urchins. <laughs> exactly, that's how I imagine. Anyway, so so the ghost of Christmas present then shows um, Scrooge what's going on. Well, they go to the market, don't they? Isn't they there a first the market, thing where people yeah. are kind of all? Yeah, they're basically doing their Christmas shopping. Yeah, and they're all happy. Yeah, and everyone in Dickens loves doing Christmas shopping. Yeah, it's very, very <laughs> so, unlike so wholly implausible and fictional. <laughs> yeah, uh, they, they all they all absolutely adore it. The sort of stressed people like <laughs> yeah. with juggling wrapping paper, yeah. desperately fighting for the last <laughs> pigs in blankets yeah. and Tesco's. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and then he is shown his his nephew. Um, who we should have mentioned earlier had come Fred. in. And, uh, yes. So Fred and, has and previously with, uh, said, why don't you come and join us for Christmas? And, and Scrooge has said bar humbug. Yeah, he yeah. has said bar humbug. So um, Scrooge has shown them all kind of saying what a miserable old stick Scrooge is. Well, they play some sort of game, don't they, where they have to guess who he is. Yes. 
I'm a yes. sort of animal. I yes, know. a kind of miserable old, <laughs> yeah, terrifying creature, monster. And it's Scrooge, and Scrooge yeah. is gutted when he finds out that they're laughing at him behind his back. And then they are taken to Camden and to Bob Cratchit's house, yes. where all the various Cratchit children are, are feasting on a goose, which is a very small goose, and there's a very small Christmas pudding. But because they have the spirit of Christmas, they're there happy. There never was such a goose. Bob said he didn't believe there ever was such a goose cooked. Its tenderness and flavour, size and cheapness were the themes of universal admiration. And is there a, a particular child, Dominic, who perhaps you've made play with in an uh, advert for beer <laughs> on our podcast? See, the producer is, 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 finds this absolutely hilarious because he, he wrote it, didn't he? He wrote he it. Wrote yeah. it. <laughs> he wrote it. Uh, Tiny Tom. <laughs> I will perhaps save a glass of beer 52. I hope they pay us extra for this in, in, in episode advertising. Um, uh, for Tiny Tom, yeah. So uh, Tiny Tim. So Tiny Tim. Now Tiny Tim is kind of little Nell, isn't he? Really. Mm-hmm. So little Nell was the character in the old Curiosity Shop who had famously. Um, I hesitate to spoil it for people, but she dies, <laughs> and there had been universal kind of weeping and wailing. So all those listeners who are just just three quarters of the way through the old Curiosity how many, Shop. How many such <laughs> listeners do you think there are? I'm sure there are lots. Absolutely um, ruined. And of course, it for people them. in America had famously kind of. You know, being at the quayside, waiting and for Oscar the next installment. And Oscar Wilde is famously to... yes, rude about it. a heart of stone not, not to laugh. laugh. Yeah. Um, but Tiny Tim is kind of little Nell. He's a sentimental... Yeah. He's got little crutches. ...martyr figure with his yeah. crutches. Carried on Bob Cratchit's back. Um, Bob is incredibly long-suffering and will, yeah. you know, run with Tiny Tim. And Tiny and Tim can do no wrong. Scrooge. He does. To Mr. Uh, Scrooge, who made it possible. And his wife, yeah. who's Miss Piggy... Yeah, in the Muppet version <laughs> says Scrooge. If he was here, I would give him uh, yeah. bat boxes ears or whatever. Yeah, and um, and yeah, but Bob is so Bob is such a sort of a fine fellow that yes. he won't hear a word against no. Scrooge. Even no. though Scrooge no. takes him like dirt. And uh, Tiny Tim is obviously a chip off the old block because he has his famous toast: "God bless us all, everyone." God bless us, everyone. Yes. Um, it's very moving, Tom. I think it's very moving. Yeah, I it think, is. Uh, well, that's that's what I found about Dickens is that, that, that when I was young and I read him, I was youthful and cynical and contemptuous of his sentimentality yes. whereas now uh, in middle age i i just sob yeah no, i agree it. with you i've, I I've become far more attuned to it i think um i think it's almost too tempting to sort of poke fun at dickens and to poke fun well at so last 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 christmas in the depths of the lockdown i, I read quite a lot of dickens uh, and i read um uh tale of two cities which i hadn't read since school right when i really hadn't enjoyed oh, it that's terribly moving at the end uh, it's so good, and I was I was literally in tears at the yeah. end. Yeah, I read the children's version of that to my son, and it was Did a bit he like wipe away read, a, a, a boyish tear. It was a bit like when no, he was completely different. But it was a bit <laughs> like when I read the Lion, the Wish, and the Wardrobe. There were bits where I kind of <laughs> <laughs> choked up. Choked up. I was like, "What's wrong with you? Why can't you carry on reading?" <laughs> no. Anyway, back, so, so back to uh, back to to Scrooge. So he's very moved by this. Yeah. Um, very worried about Tiny Tim. You know, is Tiny Tim going to be all right? Yes. Um, and then the ghost of Christmas present vanishes and we, we get the appearance of the most terrifying ghost of all, who yes. is the ghost of Christmas to come. So he's Christmas sort future. of a, a, a J.K. Rowling style Dementor, isn't he? Or a Nazgul. Or a Nazgul, yeah. Or, oh, I suppose, I mean, he's, 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 he's the Grim up, Reaper, isn't he's he? He's a figure of utter I mean, dread. So he's, he's black cloaked, you can't see his face. He right. never talks. He, yeah. he only never talks, only shows. But I, th- I think that we should um, we, we should talk about the third ghost. Yes. Not here. Oh. But uh, in a graveyard, what? which is where the ghost. Excellent. Let's ends up taking. Not least because there's a lot of banging 
and not drilling least, in the yeah. background, which the listeners may want so, to So uh, let's head let's to our to next destination on our Christmas carol pilgrimage. So, Tom, where are we now? Okay, we have come to St. Peter upon Cornhill, which, as the name suggests, we're still, we're still in Cornhill. Um, and this church, actually, I mean, quite aside from Dickens, is, is a very interesting church. You, you could walk along Cornhill and barely notice it. Well, it's because it's in one of the... It's yeah. Warren of... this maze of courts and but if you, Yeah, so if you come off Cornhill, uh, you know, you, you, you see the, the, the graveyard um, and you, you see the back of the church. And this reputedly is the oldest church in Britain. Amazingly, Britain. supposedly founded by that well-known historical figure, King Lucius, right. in the second century uh, AD. Yeah, I don't uh, remember him in there. <laughs> he's, well, he's mentioned by Bede um, right. as, as being you know, a very early Christian who founded this church. Okay. So that probably... Do the Romans did, know of him? Uh, unlikely, right. unlikely. But it's mentioned by John Stowe, who's the great, um, the, the, the great Tudor writer about London at the end of the, the 16th century. Um, and he cites a tablet um, claiming that King Lucius had founded this church. It was obviously destroyed in the Great Fire, rebuilt by Wren. Um, the weather vane has uh, a key in the, the shape of St. Peter's key, letting people in, into heaven. But, um, I mean, that's all by the by. The reason why I've brought you here is that it is probably in this graveyard that the final climactic scene in Scrooge's experience with the three ghosts occurs. So, so we're the ghost of Christmas past the ghost of christmas future oh sorry yes ghost of christmas future and and the ghost shows what is likely to come and he shows scrooge um a, a kind of rag and bone man uh, in a squalid area of london um parceling up the goods of an obviously deceased man nobody cares for them nobody wants them they're just being dispelled then he takes scrooge to the city and various bankers and financial luminaries that scrooge knows are walking a lot through the streets talking about someone who's died in a, a tone of absolute kind but of they, they only don't want care. to go they only want to go to the if there's going to be a free lunch don't exactly they? yes yes no, nobody cares nobody cares and then and all the time scrooge is saying who is this person i mean he's either being yeah what very, a mystery, very what a mystery. <laughs> he doesn't want to face up to the possibility of who it might be but then they go to cam they go back to camden don't they they go to Camden, yeah, and they go to the Cratchit's house. Oh, it's a terrible scene! Is terrible Tiny Tim scene. still there? No, no, Tiny Tim is dead. Tiny Bob Tim. has just visited the grave, hasn't he? And he's he says it's very green and you'd like it. And they all talk about how they'll remember Tiny Tim yeah. and what a lovely fellow he was, and the, they'll the, behave the, in a more Christian way now. When they and think the of crutches Tim. are by the fire. Oh, it's very moving. No to, it's very very. Well, moving. you know, if you're 17, you laugh at this, and you're, oh, or if you're but, Oscar Wilde, but but if you're a bit older, yeah, and with a child of your own, you, yes, yeah, you do absolutely. find it moving. Yes, absolutely. And then, and then, and then, well, then they reach an iron gate, and I shall read from the book. It says, "He paused to look around before entering a churchyard. Here, then, the wretched man whose name he had now to learn." lay underneath the ground. It was a worthy place, walled in by houses, as, as it is now, yep. walled in by houses, overrun by grass and weeds, which it isn't, but overrun by grass and weeds, the growth of vegetation's death, not life, choked up with too much burying, fat with repleted appetite, a worthy place. The spirit leads Scrooge into this, um, into this graveyard, and he, uh, he, he points... And Tom, towards tell a us, grave. Tell us what's written on the grave. Well, following the finger, he read upon the stone of the neglected grave his own name. <laughs> and Dickens puts it in capital letters 
Ebenezer Scrooge. Do you know where Ebenezer Scrooge, the name come, came from? No. Uh, apparently, Dickens had visited a grave in Edinburgh, I think, by a man called Ebenezer Scroggy. Oh, right. Who it turned out was Scrubby a very, would a, be very a very jovial man, a great <laughs> philanderer, a man with an eye for the ladies, and a kind of laugh a minute party goer. So. But I'm glad you didn't call him Scroogey. No, yeah, that wouldn't work at all. Scroogey wouldn't work. Scroogey. Anyway, so so um, so Scrooge wakes Scrooge wakes up from this, finds that you know it's all been a dream, and that it's all happened um, over the course of, of Christmas morning. Yes, and he calls out to a passing boy, you know, what morn is it? And the boy says, it's Christmas morning. And Scrooge tells him to go and buy a turkey. And the boy rushes off to Leadenhall Market, which is just round the corner where we're going to head now. A delightful boy. (laughs) Excellent boy. The first Christmas I spent in London, I came to Leadenhall Market and I bought a goose. A goose, not a turkey. No, I bought a goose because I thought it was more Dickensian. Well, it is more Dickensian. It's more like Bob Cratchit. I was a bit disappointed to have a turkey um, at the end rather than a goose. And I carried it the whole way back to our little... Bob Cratchit type flat uh, and it was a, a brilliantly Dickensian experience now so Chris, uh, Dickensian Christmases Tom are, there's lights and shade in them yeah so, and, uh, and let's bring in a bit of the shade because you have had an experience haven't you with a turkey yes uh, which always I'm sorry to say always <laughs> slightly amuses me did you not once buy a turkey and have it stolen out of the back of your car? Yes, I did. At Christmas, was that on Christmas Eve? Yeah, it was on Christmas Eve because um, I didn't have room. In, we had a very small fridge uh, and this was a kind of um, Scrooge-type turkey of an enormous size. <laughs> and we, uh, yeah, we, so, so we, you know, we didn't want it to, we wanted to keep it cold. So we kept it in the, um, in the, in the boot of the car and some, some wanker. <laughs> Are you allowed to say that in the Christmas podcast? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> some wanker broke into the car and uh, nicked it so we we that's just shocking. had all the trimmings it that's was very shocking. nice it was the best christmas ever oh yeah that's, that's a hard god bless us story. everyone tiny tom yeah. anyway tom we're in a very we're in a splendid location now so tell us where we are so we are now in leadenhall market um and there's been um a market here from the 14th century it's actually on the site of the roman basilica uh, and there's the only chunk of the roman basilica is to be found in the, the barber shop that is over there it's in the basement um, and it's a, a legal requirement, I think, of the planning that um, <laughs> if you want to go and see this chunk of the basilica... You have to uh, have your haircut. No, they have to let you in. Oh, really? They have to let you in. So you <laughs> go down and see it. But this, this particular incarnation was, was built in 1881, and it's very, very Victorian. I mean, it's... So this isn't the one that, uh, that, that Scrooge would have known, but it still gives a, a yeah. very Victorian festive vibe. It's a bit more late Victorian, vibe. isn't it? There are wreaths everywhere. There's kind of um, Christmas trees. It's all... Very, very, very festive. Yeah, cheeses, and this, yeah, vintage port. And so this is where Dickens buys his... Uh, sorry, Dickens. That's a significant slip. Yes. Uh, Scrooge buys this enormous turkey. Yeah. He takes it to Bob Cratchit. So yes, this no, is so interesting. It gets sent, doesn't it? It gets sent. Scrooge, everybody thinks that Scrooge pitches up at the Cratchit's house in Camden yeah. Town. But he doesn't. He goes to Fred's house. Yeah, he and does. And astonishes everybody by pitching up at Fred's. Yeah. So Michael Caine at the end of The Muppets, he, he goes to both. He does both. Yeah. But that's not right. Yeah. You should not go to visit Miss Because the twist is, the next morning, when Bob Cratchit comes in late, because he's had such a great time, what with all his punch and everything, Yeah. and Scrooge pretends to be the yes. miserable old skinflint that he'd always been. <laughs> what a joker. And then he says, Bob Cratchit, I'm going to give you a raise. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's, it's non-stop polarity. And Scrooge then basically becomes a second father to Tiny that's Tim, right. who doesn't die. And they all... 
you know, all this interesting thing well. about Tiny Tim not dying um, was only added at the at very latest stage in the printing presses. So originally, they didn't say that explicitly because it's quite a sentimental touch. Tiny Tim, who did not die. in capitals die. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a sort of that's just a bit of fan service, yeah. I think, as they as they would call it yeah. now, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, Scrooge, he became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Yes. Now let's talk a bit about just a bit about the meaning of a Christmas Carol, because Tony, our producer, who is this sort of glowering shadow throughout our recording, yes, um, <laughs> putting on, <laughs> taking off his flat cap, and looking disapproving <laughs> at various points. Yes, pointing out that it it's made by a hat maker uh, by yeah. appointment to the Duke of Edinburgh, yeah. while simultaneously d- gr- d- grumbling yeah. about trade unions. Yes, so very, exactly. very, exactly, very split, <laughs> very much <laughs> in a kind of Dickensian way. Isn't yeah, it? it's <laughs> very much the uh, the modern Labour Party, some might say. Um, anyway, he has pointed out quite rightly that in some ways A Christmas Carol is a very conservative book because basically the argument of A Christmas Carol is there, is there are tremendous... I mean, the context are these tremendous inequalities, poor and rich living cheap by jowl, but sort of not meeting. But the answer to this is individual philanthropy. Is screwed well, by everyone a turkey. And, and, and there were people who literally did that. So there was, I think there was someone in um, a, a factory owner in Boston who read it and was, he, he gave everyone the day off and bought them all turkeys. That's right, yes. Um, and I think somebody... <laughs> There was that comment in the Times or something to the, to the effect of, you know, ever since it's been published, people are just rushing around buying turkeys for people. <laughs> um, so th- that is essentially Dickens' solution to, to, to want well, to poverty. individual it's, self-improvement and philanthropy and so on, which now people would perceive as in some ways quite a Thatcherite message, I would say. Well, so um, Lenin, a, a few years after the Russian Revolution, went yeah. to uh, a staging of one of Dickens' Christmas stories. And, and was so appalled by its bourgeois morality that he walked out midway through. Lenin walked out of a mm, he walked out. Dickens. Yeah, yeah. That's a play in itself, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, kind of Nando and Nucci doing something with that. Yes, but I suppose that's part of the that's part of the fascination with Dickens. That Dickens is simultaneously appalled by the by the kind of costs of you know Victorian progress and so on, and yet he's he's a moralist, isn't he? He's a conser- as, as many moralists are. He tends to be quite conservative because he brings everything back to the the, the, the virtual vice of the individual rather than of society at well, large. He, I mean, he feels horror at the institutionalisation of the kind of inequalities in Victorian Britain. So Scrooge is notorious, you know, are there not workhouses? Yes. Are there not prisons? Yeah. Uh, you know, why don't people die to, to lower the surplus population? Well, so sort of anti-Malthus, isn't it? Anti-Malthus, political economists. Uh, again, it's the ledger book. It's, yeah. it's the idea of reducing people to statistics, to, um, to figures in an accountancy yeah. book. Um, uh, that fills him with horror. And the, the counterpoint to that is, yeah, is kind of personal joy, I guess, and personal benignity. Um, the, the buying of turkeys for people. Well, that's arguably why a Christmas, one reason why a Christmas Carol is so successful and so popular. I mean, it was written for a very middle-class audience, for a literate middle-class audience, and that's probably the audience that it still reaches, because it's not in a politically radical book yeah. in, a, in a troubling way. It's a book that says, you know, give a little bit more to charity at Christmas. And I think that's why people, that's yeah. why, that's, shall we say, affluent, respectable, well-off people love it. 
because it makes you feel it doesn't make Scrooge feel bad about being rich but I think it's also I, I mean as we said at the beginning it, although it, it does have this kind of quite strong political seedbed it, it also has a kind of it, it has the quality of fairy tale of folk tale almost of myth yeah. or of legend and that makes I mean I'm sure that's one of the reasons why it must rank as the most adapted story certainly in English is that you can do almost anything with it so you can you know obviously when I said that we were doing this show lots of people wrote and said you must mention the Muppets as, as the best and we have given I think <laughs> lots, given of, them, yeah. lots of airtime to the Muppets but also you know you had Scrooge McDuck the you know the Disney version of it Scrooge uh, with Bill Murray Scrooge yes so, so it's come in many many shapes and forms and I think that 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 reflects the fact that it is infinitely ma- malleable yeah. and infinitely parodable infinitely adaptable and, the, and as we said in our Christmas podcast that we did at this time last year Christmas is in many ways Dickens's and the Victorian's creation, isn't it? Yeah. The turkey, the goose, the trimmings, the carols, the cards, the tree. These things date from Dickens's lifetime. Um, so we're still kind of, you know, we are almost self-consciously reenacting a Victorian Christmas every time we celebrate Christmas. And I think, Dominic, that that is the perfect note on which to end. So, you look like you're gearing up for a reading, Tom, are you? No, I'm going to say uh, happy Christmas to everyone. Festive best wishes. And God bless us. God bless us. Everyone. Everyone. From me and from Tiny Tom. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Hi, Rest is History fans. If you want more Tom Holland in your life, and frankly, why wouldn't you? I have some good news for you. I'm Emily Dean, and I'm thrilled to say that this week, Tom is a guest on my podcast, Walking the Dog, where you get to hear well-known faces at their most relaxed, because I talk to them over a leisurely outdoor stroll with my dog, Raymond. And you can join us this week for a very special two-part in-depth chat with Tom Holland. And yes, I'm afraid I did ask him this question. Tom, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? I think about it a huge amount. In fact, there are days where I barely stop thinking about it. My brain is occupied by the Romans. It's like gall. If you want to hear more of my chat with Tom, give Walking the Dog a listen this week. And while you're there, you can take your pick from episodes starring the likes of Ricky Gervais, Jack Whitehall and Jimmy Carr. What's that, Raymond? Yes, The Rest is History did do an episode all about the greatest dogs in history. No, you weren't in it. Most spoilt dog in history, maybe.